Welcome to Vedic Living. I'm Ben Collins. In this series of podcasts, Apana Konokar and I explore ways to utilize the insights of the ancient Vedic rishis to establish a life full of good health, balance, and spiritual fulfillment. This week, Aparna and I discuss the queen of the three doshas, Vata dosha. Aparna presents the characteristics of Vata when it's in balance, as well as giving tips on how to recognize when Vata is out of balance and what to do about it. Vata is also the name of the winter season, and I tell a traditional story about Saraswati and present a series of mantras that are useful to rebalance and pacify Vata, particularly during this time of year. Well, Parna, it's always nice to speak with you. Likewise, Ben. It's great to be here. Well, this week we're going to begin our series on the three doshas, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. And I think today you're going to begin with Vata. Yes, indeed. The queen of the doshas. Yes, and uh, I suppose it's very appropriate because we're now in Vata season. Yes. And uh, isn't Vata the dosha that really controls the movement of the other two? Yes. Indeed. So, indeed, the queen. Yeah. We want to take care of the queen. (laughs) (laughs) I have several good mantras for uh, balancing vata, which we'll do at the end of the podcast. And I will also include in the show notes a link to some of the ancient mantra slokas that you can listen to to uh, balance vata during this time of year. Uh, Specifically, a very nice Dunvantri sloka from... Mm. um, uh, the Pujanet uh, Multimedia Library. Fabulous. Thank you for that. And that, <clears throat> when I was researching this, this brings me to my Vata story, um, which is appropriate to this time of year. There's a specific festival, um, Vata Vrata, uh, which um, is appropriate to this time of year. But when Vata gets out of balance, um, we can get very anxious and uh, you know tend to worry a lot. And, uh, you know, vata, vata being, you know, wind, it moves quickly. And people who are vata types, you know, typically have very quick minds. And uh, for those that uh, uh, think in modern, modern terms, the prototypical science or, or computer geek is, is very much like that. And if you watch uh, popular television, the character Sheldon on Big Bang Theory is Vata to the core. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, this is um, uh, this is based on the story comes from uh, this festival which takes mo- uh, place in the Vedic month of Jayasta on either the new moon or the full moon, and it has its origins in the way that a form of Saraswati, who embodies the best qualities of Vata and being a queen, uh, she outsmarted Yamaraja, the god of death. So as the story goes, there was a king by the name of Ashvapati and his wife, and they had no children, and they did lots of pujas and mantra japa and yagyas for Saraswati, appealing to her to bring them a child. And eventually they did. They had a daughter who really embodied Saraswati herself, and her name was Savitri. And when Savitri became old enough, her parents looked around for a suitable husband. Because her parents were king and queen, uh, they chose the child of a king, 
the kings um, unfortunately had lost his kingdom and was blind. But his son Satyavan was uh, uh, attracted uh, to Savitri, and they decided to go ahead and get married. But in uh, Hindu mythology, there is one of my favorite characters by the name of Narada. And uh, Narada is uh, uh, the author of the very famous Narada uh, uh, sutras, uh, which have to do with the nature of devotion. But he's, he's really kind of a cosmic troublemaker. And uh, he, he finds the uh, intended husband and wife and their parents, and he goes and takes a look at their Jyotis chart, and he tells them that after a year or ma- of marriage, the groom, Satyavan, would pass away. But Savitri, she insisted on getting married, and uh, she never left his side. Uh, and they lived you know, very happily for a year, up until four days before the year was up. So starting four days before, Savitri fasted, um, sat in meditation, did pujas, did japa. And on the fourth day, she got up that morning, supposedly the last day of her husband's life and did her morning puja and she and her husband went out into the woods uh, to cut wood uh, for their cooking fire but suddenly the husband just started to feel weak he he lay down on the ground and passed away and yama the god of death came and he took his soul and starts to go off to yama loka or heaven and savitri follows him and yama stops and says no 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 you go back you, you know and Savitri says, no, no, wherever my husband goes, I'm going there. This was my promise to him, and I intend to fulfill it. And R- Yamaraja was, you know, not used to being spoken to this way. So he stops and he says to her, listen, you know, you've made me happy with your, with your devotion to your, to your husband and the proper role of a, of a wife and your loyalty. So you can ask any boon of me except for the life of Satyavan. So Savitri says, well, my in-laws are blind and they've lost their kingdom. Uh, I'm sorry, they've lost their good health, but may both be restored to them. Be it so, says Yama, and he starts to walk away. And Savitri still follows him. And he says, no, you've got to go back now. And she looks at him and says, well, you know, I find shelter with my husband. Where he goes, there I go. He was a good man, and the Vedas say to marry one such as he is a great blessing. And austerities, sacrifice for a higher purpose, never fail. Well, Yama looks at her patiently and says, Well, yes, you're correct. And except for the life of Satyavan, I'll give you one more boon. And she says, Well, my father-in-law lost his kingdom. Would you restore it to him? He says, Certainly. Now, please, just, you know, go back to earth and let me go do what I need to do. Well, Savitri smiled and and looks at him and says, Sir, you control the universe and you are called Yama, the Dharma Raja, because you treat all beings the same. Yama looks at her and, you know, he's not used to people really understanding his role, particularly the fact that, you know, he's so fair because death comes to all. So he says, yes, you know, you have a deep understanding of the universe, and I offer you one more boon, except for the life of Satyavan. 
And she says, Thank you, my lord. My father, the king Ashvapati, has no son. And I would ask that you grant him a hundred sons to continue his lineage. Done. Now you go home. <laughs> so she says to him, Oh, no, really, don't. Don't worry about me. I'm with my husband, so no journey will be too long. You are the son of Surya. You are called Vevasvata. You treat all alike, rich or poor, learned or ignorant. So you are truly the great Dharma Raja, and all the rishis admire you. Yama takes a deep breath and says, Indeed, you flatter me, but enjoy one last boon, accept the life of Satyavan. Now, Sav Savitri was uh, quiet for a moment and says, well, I don't wish to trouble you, but I too would like a hundred sons, just like my in-laws and my father. He's, he relaxes for a moment. He says, oh, listen, this is no trouble for me. You can have a hundred sons. And Yama starts to leave. And Savitri runs after him and catches up and says, well, you know, I've seen how good people always bring to their religion good things, and doing so, they're never unhappy for long. Good persons in the company of other good persons always profit. Saints are never afraid of other saints. Our timeless Sanatana Dharma is well served and sustained by the good at heart who always do good to others and never worry about anything. And Yama stops and sort of looks at her. <laughs> says, yes. <laughs> and he says, <clears throat> the more you speak to me, the more I worry that you are going to ask yet another matchless boon. No, she says quietly, but you've already given me a hundred sons, and how can that be possible without a husband? Mm -hmm. You've offered me this boon of a hundred sons, so now... I asked, did Satyavan be restored to life so that your boon could be fulfilled? I know, my dear Dharma Raja, that you only tell the truth. Yama was smiling as he said, oh, be it so. And he walked back to earth with Savitri, puts the soul back into Satyavan's body, and Yama disappears. So to this day, um, Bhatta season, on the full moon or the, or the new moon, um, women fast for a day uh, in honor of their husbands, and they do puja under, I believe it's the banyan tree, saying, may my husband live as long as this tree lives on earth. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, I thought it was a kind of a nice story, and, um, you know, it's the vata season, and it kind of celebrates the uh, quickness of mind that comes from someone whose vata is in good balance. Yeah, she was pretty clever, I must say. I think so. I love those stories. Savitri. So, go ahead. So, tell us more about Vata. Well, before I tell you about Vata, I thought I would give a very small bit of background information on what, what a dosha means. And yeah. also, very little bit, just a little bit about Prakriti and Vikriti. And then, also about Pancha Mahabhutas. I know we covered Pancha Mahabhutas a couple of weeks ago. Well, dosha is a Sanskrit word, which means that which changes. And it also means a fault or an error against cosmic law. So then keep that in mind while we understand prakriti and vikriti. And 
Prakriti is our original nature. It's very unique to us. And in Sanskrit, Prakriti means nature or creativity or first creation. And that is our basic constitution. That's our base point. That's who we really are. And it's based on our parents' dosha at the point of conception. And I'm even going to stretch it and say it's based on our karma. And our ideal constitution in an ideal world would stay fixed. But obviously that's not the case. And then because of that comes in vikriti. And vikriti in Sanskrit is our current condition, our current imbalances, I should say. And our current vikriti should match our original prakriti as much as possible. That's a good sign. If your current imbalances match who you are, for instance, I was born a vata pitta, and I'm still a vata pitta, struggling with the same vata pitta imbalance issues. I don't have a kapha imbalance, so I'm generally in pretty good shape, and I can take care of these imbalances quite easily. If your current imbalances are significantly different from your prakriti or the or your who you are at at your birth and at your conception, then you probably will have some significant challenges to overcome. But of course, as we know, Ayurveda has wonderful, wonderful, easy, very healing and luxurious ways to come back into balance. So briefly, I want to talk about the Panchamhabhutas again. These are the five elements. They're kind of the building blocks of the universe. So everything in creation has these five elements in various con combinations. So we have earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And today we're specifically focusing on air and ether because those are the two Mahabhutas that are that pair up to combine the Vata Dosha. So ether is space. Space is in which everything happens. It's the source of all matter and the space in which all matter also exists. And I also wanted to briefly share with you about air. Air is, of course, not liquid or solid. It's a gas, so it's very mobile and it's very dynamic. And in the body, air acts as a basis for all energy transfers, all movement, as Ben was saying earlier. And very briefly, I wanted to share with you guys um, the element of ether is connected to the sense of hearing so the sense organ associated to hearing would be the ears. And the action is speech. And the organ of action would be the tongue, the vocal cords, and the mouth. And the element of air is associated with touch. And the sense organ is skin, because that's where we feel when the air moves. We feel it on our skin. And the action is holding, and the organ of action is in the hands. So Vata people love to be touched, and they, of course, talk a lot. They love to talk. So that gives you an idea. And then previously we've mentioned the six tastes, and today, starting today I thought I would mention or share with you about the effects of the doshas 
um, in relation to the six tastes and how it can be used for balancing doshas. So Vata people generally are pacified with sweet, sour, and salty foods. So um, that does not include white sugar or chocolate or potato chips. Uh, it means that you eat foods that are soupy and maybe some dates, sweet fruit, um, even some honey if you're really needing something heavier. Honey mixed with a little whipped cream, not cool whip, but whipped cream made at home would be a very wonderful dessert for vata. And of course, sour would be lemon or lime. Okay, so vata dosha is composed of air and space, as we know. And it is the queen of the doshas because as queen of the doshas, she is responsible for all movement within the body and as well as the mind. And she enables the other two doshas to be expressed within the physiology. Vata is cold, dry, rough, sometimes agitated, always moving, and it's light. Um, it governs movement of muscles and tissues, heart pulsations, expansion and contraction, so childbirth would fall under that, excretion would fall under that. Uh, it also governs nervous system function. It governs breathing, which is a big one, and blinking, and movement of muscles and tissues. Okay, some emotions associated with vata include spontaneity. They're very creative people. They're very enthusiastic when they're balanced. When they're not balanced, they also str struggle with fear, anxiety, a lot of worry, pain in the body spasms in the muscles, and each dosha has its seat in various organs, and the seat of vata is in the colon, and vata also resides in the hips, the thighs, the large intestines, the pelvic cavity, the ears, and bones. Too much vata can accumulate in these areas that I just mentioned, and also the skin. As Ben mentioned earlier, some of the common characteristics of vata include fast talking, a lot of talking. They're very quick to learn, but they're also very quick to forget. Um, you can tell two vatas apart at an airport or a busy place if you eavesdrop on their conversation. They'll cover about 15 topics in 15 minutes, never really finishing any of them, and they're very excitable. It's quite um, entertaining, actually. <laughs> um, they talk and walk quickly as well. Their moods change. Um, they're sexually very excitable, but also they're quick to be satiated. They have variable appetite. They're much like the wind. They go up and down, fast and slow. So their, their whole daily routine, their schedule is very erratic. Some days they eat a lot. Other days they don't have an appetite. Some nights they sleep a lot, other nights they can't sleep. Um, and of course, their stress response. Each dosha has a different stress response. The stress response of vata is worry, fear, and anxiety. The what ifs, they're always worried about the what ifs. They can also be impulsive. And in terms of their skin, they struggle with dry skin and dry hair. Some of the health problems that they struggle with is headaches, 
vata headaches start in the back of the neck um, and then it radiates up depending on how much pitta you struggle with. Dry cough, constipation, insomnia, gas, crampiness, neurological issues. Those are some of the things that that vatas, uh, those are the ba- imbalances that vatas have to deal with. So um, now that I've mentioned all the imbalances and problems, we need some solutions. I know I've said this many times in these podcasts, meditation is the best way to pacify all doshas. So for vatas, that's very important because it really helps them slow the mind down and even allows them to go into a state of deep rest in the body. Another wonderful way of pacifying vata is, of course, with abhyanga, specifically with warm sesame oil. Uh, Ben, I'll send a little handout that we can post on how to do an abhyanga on yourself. Excellent. Good idea. It requires 10 minutes of your time in the morning, preferably. But if you can't do it in the morning, at least do it before sundown in the evening so your body can digest and metabolize that oil easily. All you do is warm up a few tablespoons of oil, stand on an old towel in your bathroom, and start applying oil on your scalp and rub it in and then move to your face and down to your chest and arms and your belly and your legs and do the best you can with your back and sit on that old towel and spend at least five out of the 10 or 12 minutes on your feet. Vata people typically struggle with cold feet, probably even dry feet, and putting oil on your feet is very grounding. So you're taking care of two things by spending extra time on your feet. And then if you have a chance to just have the oil on you for about 15 minutes, that would be great. If not, take a hot shower. And you don't even need to soap up too much because you want some of that oil to stay on your skin. And you will feel so wonderful. You'll feel so rejuvenated. Warm teas are good for them. Uh, vatas that is warm temperatures they don't like to be cold warm foods soupy foods something heavy something a little unctuous Uh, maybe like a roasted uh, roasted butternut squash with some coconut milk and ghee would be really nourishing for vatas and you know nature is so wonderful because we are in vata season so we're all airy and spacey right now in one way or another And we have this rich bounty of root vegetables. And when we eat root vegetables, we we get grounded because these vegetables grow under the ground. So they have a grounding quality to them. So again, I encourage people to shop at farmer's market because we end up buying seasonal things, seasonal produce. Early bedtime is wonderful for vatas. They need lots of rest because they're not very, you know, they're very slender people. They don't have a lot of energy. If they have a burst of energy, they use it up and then they get fatigued. So of all the doshas, they need rest the most. They need rest, silence, and a lot more sleep even. And of course, to maintain a daily routine is one of the best things you can do for your vata. That means waking up, preferably before sunrise, 
doing an abhyanga, doing some meditation, having a substantial breakfast, taking care of your work-related things, and then having a substantial lunch, maybe even resting for a few minutes back to your work, and then to have a light dinner and to meditate, to take care of yourself regularly like that. And of course, to get some exercise is good. It's very important for Vata people to avoid any kind of stimulants such as coffee or black tea or alcohol because that really disrupts Vata more. And Vata people have a tendency to be constipated. It's important that they find ways to make sure they eliminate daily. More than 80% of all the diseases uh, begin in the colon. So it's And since the colon is the seed of Vata, it's very important to take care of the colon. In terms of foods, um, for vata, sweet fruits like mangoes. Mangoes are not in season now, but I'm just mentioning it. Melons, sweet melons, uh, avocados, bananas, sweet. Any sweet fruit is really wonderful for vatas, bananas. Um, warming spices such as cumin, some fenugreek, black pepper, ginger, cumin, I may have mentioned cumin already. Uh, small amounts of cayenne. Cayenne can be very drying, warming but drying. And vata already has the quality of dryness, so we need to be very watchful of that. And ghee is one of the best foods for vata people. Those of you who partake of milk, milk is very nourishing for vata. So you can um, make a spiced milk with some saffron, a little bit of cardamom, and any kind of sweetener except for white sugar. Uh, bring it to a quick boil and you can drink that at night. It's very pacifying for vata and actually helps you sleep as well. So those are some of the easiest ways to reduce vata and enjoy the good benefits of having a healthy, pacified and well-balanced vata. Now, uh, everybody has uh, vata, pitta, and kapha in their system, just sort of in different proportions, correct? Yes. So have, balancing vata is something, you know, that everybody needs to do. Um, it's not just people for whom vata predominates, right? Very true. When you go... To an Ayurvedic doctor, for instance, when they read your pulse, they will first, of course, they look for everything. But if there are vata issues in the pulse, the very first thing that will be taken care of is the vata. Because often when vata is pacified, the other doshas come into balance on their own. So even if you are a kapha person, it is very important that in vata season especially that we all take care of our vata, not just people who have a vata issue or if they're really thin or if they're really spacey, but we all need to take care of vata. And also just to add, you know, the last years of our life, I shouldn't say last years, 50 years and over is vata stage. So when we're born up until we're almost 30, we're in kapha stage. So when we're building our body, we're building structure, muscles, the body is growing. And then from 30 until 50 or so is pitta time, 
when we're building our families, our career, we're getting things done, accomplished. And then we go into Vata stage, 50 and above. So it's um, very important to take care of Vata if you're 50 and above, but really for all of us at all times, because it is not fun to have an overactive mind. It is not fun to worry about things that we don't need to worry about. It's not fun to have anxiety. And oil is your best friend. I have some clients with some severe vata issues, and they often ask me, what food, what food? And I will take the risk of saying that for vatas, sometimes it's not the food, it's the rest and the oil. Oil on the body, oil on the scalp, and rest is more important than constantly worrying about food. And in terms of exercise for vatas, you know, swimming is great, especially if the pool is warm. Swimming and some more um, floor asanas in terms of yoga would be great because whenever you're doing things on the floor, you're, it's more grounding for vatas. Restorative yoga is great. Even yin yoga would be great for um, vatas. And walking, not jogging. Jogging is very aggravating to the vata dosha and it's very hard on the joints so Ayurveda does not recommend jogging or running so walking, a little bit of swimming yoga, meditation oiling and most importantly staying regular with your routines good well along those lines uh, balance uh you know, and particularly vata because of its influence on our mental state, mm. um, there are a few mantra routines that you can do uh, that would supplement, uh, you know, either the uh, oil massage or yoga or whatever else you're going to do. Um, if you're feeling ang anxious, you know, for anxiety, um, the mantra sham, S-H-A-M, sham, is um, uh, very good for anxiety. It's soothing. It's grounding. It's very uh, feminine. Um, so it's a, you know, there's a sweetness to it that's um, very pleasing. And uh, <clears throat> you can do this just as mantra japa. Um, if you have a, a mala with 108 beads, that's great because if you sit down, you can do 108 repetitions in really just a few minutes. And doing that twice a day makes a huge difference. Um, another mantra that is good for vata is Ram, uh, R-A-M, Ram. And uh, another one is Hum, uh, like H-O-O-M, Hum. Or the other version is Hum Pat Swaha. Uh, hum is very uh, uh, protective. Um, uh, so if you're feeling, uh, you know, under assault by anxiety and trouble and so on, uh, Humpat Swaha is very, very easy to do, uh, and it wards off negative influences, it burns up toxins, and uh, opens up the nadi channels, and uh, awakens Agni, so it's, a, it's uh, particularly when we're feeling uh, cool uh, or cold in Vata season, Humpat Swaha is a really great, uh, it's a really great mantra. Um, uh, there also, if you like to do uh, Surya Namaskar uh, as a, you know, a bit of your yoga routine, uh, there are mantras that can go along with each of the positions. 
Um, or you can just use some of the bija mantras for the sun. Uh, <clears throat> so, for example, uh, Om Hram, Om Hrim, Om Hrum, Om Hrim, Om Hram, Om Hram. So uh, I'll post those in the in the show notes, and those are very um, very warming. They help get you going, particularly in the morning, and you can just do them. You know those six mantras uh, in repetition, uh, sort of in a circular fashion as you work through your yoga routine, and it's very uh, it's very invigorating without uh, getting us all flighty in terms of vata. Uh, just you know, just a few selections of of mantras like that done as a routine, and I think you know, as with all things Vedic, it's repetition that uh, is the basis for their effectiveness. Um, you know, choose you know one or two or whatever you're going to do, uh, and then try it for a month. And uh, I think it really takes 20 to 30 days to really see the effectiveness uh, of mantras, but uh, they don't take very long. Five, ten minutes a day, 108 repetitions at a time or multiples of that if you really like it. Uh, I think it'll show, uh, uh, it'll add to the effectiveness of the other things that you're doing in your Ayurveda routine, and the end result is balance. Very true. One thing I want to say about mantras is that you actually have a very ecstatic experience as you start doing more and more of them. It's, you feel, you almost feel like you're transcending, or maybe you are. But it's a very, very healing experience, and it brings you really close to the divine, whether it's chanting Sham or Ram or or a longer mantra, whichever goddess or god you're trying to invoke. Um, we, It's very important to keep our connection to the divine each and every day because that's who we really are. I was saying besides this physical form, you know, it's our connection to the divine that keeps us alive and happy and healthy and doing our dharmic duties every single day. 